Jesus' name, amen. Please take your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah is pretty uh, easy to find. It's um, right after the book of Isaiah and right before the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah is a big book. Jeremiah chapter 31. Uh, So far, if you remember, we've looked at a number of different covenants. We've looked at the covenant of redemption, uh, the covenant of works, the covenant of grace, uh, the Noahic covenant, or the covenant with Noah, the Mosaic Covenant, and then last Sunday night was the Davidic Covenant. And as I've said to you throughout the series, one of the great things about covenant theology is that ultimately it all points us to Christ and and the necessity of his work for us. Tonight we're going to conclude our series on covenant theology uh, by looking at the New Covenant from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Surely at uh, some point in your life you have been in a grocery store or a store in the mall and you see a product and on the product it says new and improved. New isn't always better. One example of this is new Coke. If you were living in the 1980s, you might remember that in 1985, Coca-Cola halted production of its flagship beverage that we know as Coke and replaced it with new Coke. And and new Coke, according to Coca-Cola, was supposed to have a, a smoother, sweeter taste than old Coke. New Coke was a complete disaster. It, it didn't take long before people were up in arms. You get up in arms over a soda, but that's what people do. But only 13% of people actually liked new Coke. Lovers of old Coke were so upset that they collected signatures protesting new Coke. They even set up a hotline in Seattle that you could call a number and you could complain about new Coke. Less than three months later, Coca-Cola decided to bring back Old Coke. And and over time, New Coke just kind of fizzled out. The, The point, again, is that new isn't always better. Tonight, we're going to finish our series on the New Covenant. And, and we ask the question, how is the new covenant better than the old covenant? Is it better? There are three things that we want to consider tonight. First of all, what is the new covenant? 
Secondly, what is new about the new covenant? And, and third, how does the new covenant apply to me? Now, in order to understand the new covenant, we have to go back and we have to remember what we looked at a few weeks ago when we looked at the Mosaic covenant or what we could call the old covenant. The Mosaic covenant, as we saw in Exodus chapter 24, was a covenant between God and his people. And in that covenant, God promised temporal blessings, earthly blessings, upon the condition of Israel's perfect obedience. And and you might remember that when Moses laid out all the stipulations of that covenant, you remember what the people said. They said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We'll do it. We'll We'll be obedient. But they didn't do it. They didn't fully obey God. And if, and if you read through the Old Testament prophets, if you read through the major prophets and the minor prophets, you will see example after example after example of God sending prophets to Israel to warn them of impending judgment. To, to say to Israel, if you do not repent of your idolatrous ways, earthly disaster will come upon you. Now, that wasn't the, old, the only message that the prophets brought. They, they also brought a message of hope. They, they brought a message that was designed to encourage Israel, to, to remind them that God was still going to fulfill his promise of Genesis 3, that he would send a Savior to deliver his people. And, and that's where this covenant comes in. This is where the new covenant comes in. And, and we see that right away in verse 31. If you have your Bible open, you'll notice, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And then God says in verse 32, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. So right away, God is contrasting the new covenant with the Mosaic covenant or the old covenant, the covenant that he made with Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. Now, now you might ask, why did God need to make a new covenant? Well, the, the problem with the old covenant and the reason for a new covenant was sin. As I just mentioned, the The history of Old Testament Israel tells us that Israel was unable to keep the Mosaic Covenant. Israel was unable to obey God's commands. You you can think about what happens in the book of Exodus. So children, if if you're reading in Exodus, you find some very interesting stuff at the beginning of the book, right? God's people are stuck. They're in slavery in Egypt. And they're there for 400 years. They're there for a really, really long time. And and God sends 10 plagues upon the Egyptians. We talked about that a little bit this morning. And God brings Israel out of Egypt. He gets them through the Red Sea. And and we get past the Red Sea. and, and, And God makes a covenant with Israel. He tells them how he wants them to live. And and they say again in Exodus 24, God, we're going to do everything you tell us to do. We will do it. And then if you're reading in Exodus, you you get to chapter 24 and and you have several chapters of detailed instructions about the tabernacle and the furniture in the tabernacle. But you get to chapter 32 of Exodus. And what happens? 
less than 10 chapters after saying, we will do it all. Israel is worshiping a golden calf. Yes, God will obey you, chapter 24. They're dancing around an idol in chapter 32. They couldn't keep it. They didn't keep it. Now, when we looked at the Mosaic Covenant, you you remember I told you one of the purposes of the Mosaic Covenant was to show people their sin. It it was to, to show Israel that they couldn't do all that God commanded them to do, that they couldn't keep God's law. And that because of that, they they needed a savior. The Mosaic Covenant could not make a sinner right with God. The Mosaic Covenant couldn't transform a person's heart and bring them into a saving relationship with God. And therefore, a new covenant, a better covenant was needed. That's why Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7 says, if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second covenant. And so God says here in Jeremiah 31, I'm going to make a new covenant with Israel. Now what exactly is the new covenant? I'm going to give you a helpful definition. I think it's helpful. It's in the sermon outline if you want to look there. The new covenant is God fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant by giving his people new hearts through the perfect and finished work of Jesus Christ. It's God giving his people new hearts. Now, by understanding this definition, we we can see how the new covenant is better than the old covenant. That the covenant that God had made with Moses and with Israel, the Mosaic covenant offered no power by which God's people could obey God's commands. The Mosaic Covenant showed people their sin. It showed people their need for a Savior. But it was not able to forgive their sin. It it was not able to change their hearts, and hence the need for a new covenant. So that's the first question we've answered. What is the new covenant? Secondly, what is new about the new covenant? As we've already seen, the the new covenant is new in relation to the old covenant. Now, when we say old covenant, don't think that that's just another way of saying Old Testament. And and I'll explain to you why. If If you start thinking that way, you're going to think that the entire Old Testament is about commands, that there's no gospel, there's no grace, there's no mercy in the Old Testament. And that's not true. Sadly, there are people today who think that the Old Testament teaches one way of salvation and the New Testament teaches another way of salvation. But brothers and sisters, that's simply not true. Salvation has always been by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In the Old Testament, it's looking forward to Christ. In the New Testament, it's looking back to Christ. The, The new covenant is not a new way of salvation as if the Old Testament was just salvation by works. The new covenant is part of the covenant of grace. It's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, but it's new in relation to the Mosaic covenant. Now you say, in what ways? How does the new covenant differ from the old covenant or the Mosaic covenant? I'm going to give you five things. Five things that are are new about the new covenant in relation to the old covenant. First of all, 
the nature of the new covenant is new. It is unconditional rather than conditional. Now, if you maybe remember this, I, I told you this when we started this series. In order to understand the nature of a covenant, whether it's unconditional or conditional, you have to pay attention to who swears the oath in the covenant. When, when man swears the oath, it is conditional. And, and that means that's the hint that that covenant will be broken. When God swears the oath, it's unconditional. That's the hint that the covenant will never be broken. And so in the Mosaic covenant, Israel swore the oath, didn't they? In the Mosaic covenant, Israel said, all that God has spoken, we will do, and they broke it. They didn't do what they said they would do, and the fact of the matter is that they couldn't do it because they were sinners. That's what sinners do. Sinners sin. But here in the new covenant, who swears the oath? God swears the oath. Do you remember last Sunday night when when I, I shared with you in the Davidic covenant all the times, I think almost a dozen times, where God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And I said to you that the Davidic covenant is an unconditional covenant. God will always do what he says he will do. We see the same thing here in the new covenant. If you look at your Bibles and notice verse 31, God says, I will make a new covenant. Verse 33, this is the covenant that I will make. Verse 33, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. Verse 33, I will be their God. Verse 34, they shall all know me. Verse 34, I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. You see the the difference here. You see why the new covenant is better than the Mosaic covenant. God will do exactly what he promises to do. And so that's the first thing. The nature of the new covenant is new. Secondly, the mediator of the new covenant is new. Jesus rather than Moses. Now, you know, Moses was a godly man, wasn't he? Moses... um, Moses gets a lot of ink in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. And and rightly so. He was a godly man. We, We read in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, listen, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Moses was a godly man, and here's really what it comes down to. Moses feared God more than he feared man. And, and, and in that, that's a great example for us, isn't it? Moses feared God more than he feared man. That's a great example of how to live in an ungodly culture. Whom do we fear more, God or man? 
I, I mentioned to you this morning the, the nonsense of the sisters of perpetual indulgence and you know, we're just at the beginning of Pride Month. Some, a couple of you even mentioned to me today that recently, I guess, some woman married herself. She got married in a mirror. It's foolish. It's nonsense. Who do we fear more, man or God? And Moses is a man who feared God. Moses is even called the friend of God in Exodus 33. But Moses wasn't a perfect man, was he? Moses could not save anyone from their sins, let alone his own. And and so a better mediator was needed. One who is true God and true man. And and we know who that is. We know that that is the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2.5 says that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. We have to really take to heart that, that, that no mere human being can save us from our sins. You can't save yourself. Your parents can't save you. No one can save you. No mere human being is able to bring you into a right relationship with God. Now, yes, man has sinned, and so man must pay for man's sin, but we need one who is truly righteous, truly divine. We need one who is eternal God, who is able to bear the weight of God's wrath that your sin and my sin deserves, and that is what we have in Jesus, the perfect mediator. I mean, wouldn't you agree that that Jesus is a better mediator than Moses? Would, Would you like to stand before God on the day of judgment with Moses as your mediator? Of course you wouldn't. And so the mediator of the new covenant is new. Third, the Bible also tells us that the blessings of the new covenant are new. They are eternal rather than temporal. John Owen, who was a great theologian, said this about the Mosaic covenant. He said, what the Mosaic covenant promised had to do with temporal things in the land of Canaan. And that's true, isn't it? We we looked at that two weeks ago. And if you take your Bible, and I'm not asking you to turn there now, but if you take your Bible and you start reading through Deuteronomy 28, you will notice that where God pronounces all of these blessings and curses based on obedience to the Mosaic Covenant, it's all about temporal blessings. Listen to the very first part of Deuteronomy 28. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. The fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, your cattle, your herds, your basket, your kneading bowl. Now those are all important things. But they're all temporal things. On the other hand, The new covenant comes along, and and notice what God promises in the new covenant. It's in verse 34 of Jeremiah 31. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. In the new covenant, God promises to deal with the problem of our sin. I mentioned to you this morning at the very end of the Lord's Supper, what a marvelous thing it is to know that God has dealt with our greatest problem. He's dealt with my sin. 
He's dealt with the judgment that my sin deserves. And, and what could possibly be better than that? This forgiveness is, is ours, not through our good works, not through our obedience. This forgiveness, this, this eternal blessing comes through Christ. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 9 verse 15, Christ is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance, not an earthly inheritance, not a plot of land in Canaan, can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. And then he says this, for Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. Again, listen to John Owen. As opposed to the Mosaic covenant, Owen says, the new covenant declares the love, grace, and mercy of God and therewith to give repentance, remission of sin, and life eternal. So I hope you're seeing how the new covenant is, is new. The, the, the nature of the new covenant is new. The mediator of the new covenant is new. The blessings of the new covenant are new. Fourth, the power of the new covenant is new. Divine rather than human. If, if you're a Christian, you are well aware of your own weakness. If, if any one of us is here tonight saying, you know, I, I can do this Christian life thing on my own. I got this. You're deceiving yourself. We, we are well aware of our weakness. We are well aware of what Jesus says in John 15. We know that it's true where he says, without me you can do nothing. And that's really one of the things that the Mosaic Covenant was designed to teach God's people, that there was nothing they could do to earn God's favor. They were too weak, they were too flawed, and they were too sinful. But notice what the Lord says here in Jeremiah 31, verse 33. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and then I will write it on their hearts. That's a real blessing. Earlier in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 17, the, the Lord says something very interesting about our hearts. The Lord says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 1, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With a point of diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart. The, the point is this, by nature, the only thing written on my heart is sin. In fact, Jeremiah 17, 9, a very well-known verse says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But in the new covenant, God promises to give his people new hearts. God gives us the Holy Spirit so that now we have new affections, new desires, new longings, and a new power, the power of the Spirit by which to walk with God in obedience. Fifth and finally, the sphere, the sphere of the new covenant is new. It is global rather than local. 
You know, when you read the Old Testament, one of the things that, that stands out is that God zeroes in on one particular people, right? Israel. God even says in, in Deuteronomy 7, he says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And so God says very clearly there in Deuteronomy that he is, he is zeroing in on Israel. Now we know when we read the Bible, when we read the Old Testament, that there were, there were non-Israelites who came to follow the one true God. Moses' father-in-law, a man named Jethro, was a Midianite. Uh, Rahab was a Canaanite. Uh, Ruth was a Moabite. And, and there are other examples of this, that, that there were non-Jewish people in God's covenant people. But the point is, is that God was dealing principally with Israel. But, but the new covenant means that that dividing wall between Jew and Gentile will be smashed. It will be torn down. Ephesians 2 verse 14 says that Jesus is our peace who has made us both one, meaning Jew and Gentile, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Galatians 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so the sphere of the new covenant is now global. We, we prayed tonight for, for missionaries in the Philippines, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Turkey, Meldoting, it goes all over the place. God is building his church and he's calling his people from the four corners of the earth and that is one of the blessings of the new covenant. And, and you and I are recipients of this promise. I don't know that there's anyone in this room right now who's an ethnic Jew. We're all Gentiles. But God has brought us in. And, and so you can see the the blessings that, that come from the new covenant, the five things that, that make the new covenant new. And now one more question. It's the so what question. How does the new covenant apply to me? There's, there's a lot that could be said. I'm gonna give you two things to hang your hat on tonight. Two things to take with you. First of all, the new covenant teaches us that we are no longer under the Mosaic covenant. We, we are not under the Mosaic Covenant in terms of trying to earn God's favor or earn our right standing. Imagine, imagine for a moment if you were under the Mosaic Covenant with respect to your standing before God. Imagine that you went to bed tonight thinking that you had to be perfectly obedient this week to stay in God's favor. Imagine if you thought to yourself that you had to produce the righteousness that God requires. Now you and I would be without hope. And so I'm thankful for the new covenant. I'm, I'm thankful that, that the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 13 says in speaking of a new covenant he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. 
Did you know that, that the author of Hebrews wrote the book of Hebrews because the Christians to whom he was writing were thinking about going back to Moses? They, they, were, they were missing Moses in a sense. They, they were thinking that they needed to go back to the sacrifices and the ceremonies and the feasts and the festivals, the, the things that they could see and, and taste and, and smell, that they needed to go back to those things. And, and so the author of Hebrews writes this book to say, don't do that. Don't go back to the shadows. Don't, don't go back to all those things that, that were just pointing to Jesus. The Mosaic Covenant cannot produce perfect righteousness. The blood of animals in the Mosaic Covenant cannot take away sin. Instead, we are to rejoice in and rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus for us. And so we give thanks that the the promise of the new covenant is true, that, that God would forgive our sins, that he would remember them no more, all because of what Jesus has done for us. All because of our Savior, which is received by faith alone. And then secondly, the new covenant teaches us that we now enjoy an intimate relationship with God. Did you notice in um, Jeremiah 31 that God says, they will all know me. We, we enjoy intimate communion with God. All Christians. God doesn't say, I want you to memorize 42 Bible verses and then you'll be especially close to me. I want you to memorize the Heidelberg Catechism. I want you to know all the arguments for the five souls of the Reformation. I, I want you to know the five points of Calvinism perfectly and then you will be my treasured possession. Whether we have been a Christian for 35 seconds or 75 years, we have intimate fellowship with God. Because of Christ, no longer we are, are we God's enemies. We all know him from the greatest to the least. We, we enjoy fellowship and communion with the God of the universe who through Jesus is our loving heavenly father. All of this to say covenant theology is not unimportant. It's not something only for the scholars and the theologians and the brainiacs to discuss. Covenant theology is to instruct us to challenge us, perhaps, but most of all, to comfort us. Because all of it, from the very first covenant we looked at, the covenant of redemption, all the way through all those covenants and into the new covenant, all of it points us to Jesus, who is our only hope in life and in death. And so I hope that you have seen what a beneficial study this is for God's people. To be reminded of what we have in Christ and to rest in all that he has done for us. And, and now out of gratitude for his grace and mercy, out of gratitude that we now know God, 
we go out and we live for him in all elements and all aspects of our lives, whether you're at work tomorrow or hanging out with your friends or whatever it is that you are doing, do all to honor the Lord Jesus who has paid the penalty for all of your sins. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've had tonight to study your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus and all that he has done for us. Lord, we pray that this series has not only informed our heads, but most importantly, it has affected our hearts. We pray that we would take these truths, that we would live them out, and that we would know the joy that comes from knowing you. We pray all of this now in Jesus' name.